Well, we welcome you again to Providence. As you can tell, it's just a great morning here. We're so glad that you're here. My name's Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors, and I want to share with you just a few things I've heard in the last few days. I'll make it quick, but just really cool things that um, those of you guys who are coming here and invested here, I want you uh, to know about. Last weekend, there was about 30 folks, uh, professional photographers, makeup people, hairstylists that came. We had 29 high school seniors that came here and had their senior pictures done. You know, most high school seniors or a lot would try to get that done maybe in the summer before their senior year. So these are wonderful kids in our community for, uh, who, for whatever reason, their families didn't have the means to do that. And they had just the most beautiful, professional uh, photos. And I have been inundated with notes from moms and grandmas and dads and guardians. And you guys are the ones who make that uh, possible. So Tara and your team and everybody, just want to let you know, just thank you for being a light in this community because we want them to know, right, that they're brave and they're strong and they're known and they are loved. A couple other cool things. I uh, met with a lady last week who um, is, wanted to be baptized and she told me that she has been, uh, hasn't worshiped in here, but has been watching on the live stream. We live stream. So, hey guys, on our 1045 service, we have a lot of people who are joining us. We have people that are even coming to Christ and coming, uh, so not worshiping in here uh, yet, but uh, watching online. And I was just so touched and thankful. You guys made a big investment uh, to, to make that happen and to make it uh, look great. Also inching me ever closer to my dream of being a TV preacher. <laughs> Almost. Uh, I talked to a guy on Thursday night. The Thursday night worship service is going great. Uh, we were average about 300 people every Thursday night that are coming. Uh, folks, a lot of them who can't come on Sunday mornings. I talked to a guy who was in the hospital last weekend, and he said on Sunday, I was frustrated. He said I was in tears. You know, people, uh, the illness that he's going through is a long one. There's not easy answers. What do you do next? And he said at 1045 in his hospital room, he opened up his computer and he said, I went to church. And at that time, his surgeon was trying to call him to set up surgery. And the surgeon had to come to his room. He's like, what are you doing? Why don't you answer your phone? He said, I'm at church right now. Um, but this big, strong, tough guy was just telling me how uh, encouraged he was to be connected to you guys um, in, this, in this service. And again, just a, a word of thanks. Something else really cool that happened on Thursday. We had a little boy come to church for the first time. And you've heard us talk about him. His name is Wyatt. And Wyatt was born one pound, four ounces, and he spent 163 days in the neonatal intensive care unit. And he made his first trip to church on Thursday, had this little oxygen in his nose. But some of y'all, you've heard Mark and I both tell this story that um, we were called into the hospital for Wyatt. His kidneys had not worked in over 30 hours. And in a very simple, gentle prayer, I heard Pastor Mark just pray that God uh, in the name of Jesus, would make his kidneys work. And all I know is that he started filling up his diaper big time after that. <laughs> and we have celebrated every part of his journey. Yeah. And so, right, one day, Wyatt's going to be singing Hosanna over and over and over. And then one day, I, Wyatt is going in the tub. Easter is next week. Here's our times um, we'll have two services on Saturday, 4 and 5.30, and then 4 on Sunday. I know that seems like a lot. We're going to fill every one of them up. So I uh, hope that you'll come to one. 
If you're one of our guys who comes here a bunch, we'd love for you to consider coming at 4 and 5.30 on Saturday. And especially those of you all who come to this service, usually we'd love for you to sleep in, have brunch, have an egg hunt, and come at 12.15 next week, okay? And we are, I'm telling you, the last service, we're going we're gonna to blow it out. It's going to be super fun. And so we'd, we'd really love for you to come. There's cards on the chairs maybe somewhere, and that's for you to invite somebody to join us. We find that folks who may not uh, have even thought about going to church, um, actually, this is crazy. I saw a thing this week that said 90% of people uh, who don't go to church will come if you invite them on Easter Sunday. And so I'm, I'm entrusting me and you uh, to do that. These are my Bibles. Uh, this one, you see me. Hey, brother, what you got, man? Thank you so much. I got three Bibles now. And um, so this one is somebody's. We'll get it to you. Fantastic. It's larger than mine. I need to... Uh, work out. And um, this is my Bible that uh, I have had for four years. And it's my preaching Bible. You see me carry it up here, right? And uh, it's really special to me. It was given to me by some folks in our church about four years ago, because this is my old preaching Bible, the one that I used to carry. It was given to me 12, uh, no, 16 years ago. Jeez. Uh, When I graduated from college and was going out to be a preacher, somebody in my church gave it to me and I used it for 12 years until somebody in our church saw it and they gave me this one. Um, this one's starting to fall apart a little bit, kind of losing that page that was presented to me. And uh, this may sound like preacher bragging right now, right? Uh, I guess it sort of is. But my point is, y'all hear me stand up here. I try to be pretty transparent. I try to be real about my struggles. Uh, but your pastors wear their Bibles out, okay? And the reason I share that is because I want to move from encouraging you to read your Bible to urging you to read your Bible. There's something that happens when it becomes a part of your life and you're reading it for yourself. And a bunch of y'all have done that this year in reading through the book of Mark. Um, we don't worship the Bible, right? That's why I could just set that one down on the ground. That's why this can fall apart. It's not like an idol to us, but there is, um, there's something that happens when you find out that this story in here is your story. It's really cool. Um, I'll just show you this morning, okay? We're going to read from Mark chapter 11. It starts this way. It says, as they approached Jerusalem, the they is Jesus and his disciples. And the reason that I stop here in the middle of that verse, as they approached Jerusalem, is because Jesus has been telling his disciples, when we get to Jerusalem, it's, it's all going down. He's been pointing them. He's saying, guys, wait, to Jerusalem. wait for Jerusalem, wait for Jerusalem. He'll work amazing miracles and say, it's not about this miracle. It's about what's going to happen in Jerusalem. There's a, there's a verse in Luke that says he set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus was focused on Jerusalem. And so this is a big moment for the disciples. They get to this point. So the rest of the verse says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. We'll get to where they sent them, but I want you to grasp this moment. The disciples have been waiting finally for Jesus to be noticed and acknowledged and lifted up as the king. And they're like, that's finally going to happen in Jerusalem. They're on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is like saying you're almost there to Jerusalem. Like, you can't be any closer. When you're on the Mount of Olives, you stand and you look down into Jerusalem. Specifically, you're staring down in kind of the heart of Jerusalem, what's called the Temple Mount, a 36-acre sort of raised area where the holiest of holy place for the Jews was. And so Jesus' disciples are seeing the Temple Mount. They're looking into Jerusalem. They're like, finally, we made it. And he sends two of his disciples, next verse, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, And just as you enter it, you will find a colt, that's a baby donkey, okay, a small donkey, tied there, which no one has ever ridden, 
untie it and bring it here. This is Jesus authorizing the theft of a baby donkey, okay? <laughs> or at least the borrowing. But I think if you borrow something without asking, uh, that's called stealing. And so Jesus says, you guys go and do it. Now, in days past, the disciples would have totally balked at this, right? You want us to do what? In days past, they would have said, would you explain this to us? We've looked at some of those verses where the disciples were like, I don't understand what you're saying. Will you explain this? But in this moment, they're almost to Jerusalem. They've been waiting. They've been going through the wilderness all these years. Jesus says, go get a donkey for me. And they're like, I'll go. And so they jog in to get, a, I don't know if they jog, but they go in to get a donkey. And Jesus gives them this kind of uh, uh, thing to go with them. He says, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. So that's their only defense for stealing the donkey. God needs the donkey, okay? That's like if, if you go out here and someone's stealing your car, and they're like, God needs the Toyota Camry, right? You're going to be kind of like, huh? But the disciples are pumped. They went and found a colt. So guess what they found as soon as they got into the little village? Little baby donkey out in the street, tied at a doorway, and as they untied it, some people standing there did what? Asked what Jesus said they were going to ask. What are you doing untying my baby donkey? They answered as Jesus told them, and the people let them go. They're sort of just like, what are you going to do? God needs the donkey, I guess. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. So this is the moment in the story where it goes from sort of being whimsical and exciting, the disciples are taking a donkey and all this, to more serious and... Uh, holy and honorable. They're like, we know this guy's the king. And I pictured him riding in on a white horse. But if he's going on a baby donkey, I'm taking my coat off and putting it on the donkey. The other disciples take their coats off and put it on the, the dirty ground. My king's gonna walk across my coat. And then, this is why this becomes Palm Sunday, a day that people are celebrating all over the world. My Facebook feed this morning, I saw a pastor friend in Pakistan, one in Africa. They're in the streets with palm leaves celebrating this, okay? Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Other versions of this story tell us that everybody in the town came out. The reason that's significant is because the town was packed. The city was packed with thousands for the Passover feast. They took palm branches off of trees and they start waving. And this crazy start of sort of thing just starts happening in the city. It's weird. It says, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This word Hosanna is not one we word, one that we use, not one that I use very often. Uh, it would have been a uh, sort of a peculiar Jewish word, but one they use sometimes in their festivals. It's used one solitary time in the Jewish scriptures. In Psalm 118.25, there's this word Hosanna. And what the word Hosanna means is save. Uh, it's more specifically save us now. So if you dial down to like the grammatical tense of Hosanna in Psalm 118.25, it's save us now. So this is what you say like when you've been pushed in the deep end and you don't know how to swim. It's not, hey, will you save me? Hey, I need a little help. It's save me now. And so in this, uh, you know, centuries back when they were writing this prayer, they were saying, God, save us now. They started using it in their worship services and it became for us, the meaning changed a little bit. It became to mean, I believe you can save Right? I believe that you can save us. So the Israelites were in captivity. They're like, we believe you can save us, God. And then it became this way of saying, hooray, my Savior is here. 
Hang with me. So it's sort of this movement over time. It meant save us now. I believe God can save us to hooray. My Savior's right here in the street riding on a baby donkey. And so it seems peculiar, and it is, that they're yelling to the guy on the donkey, save me and save me right now. It says Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple court. So there's an eastern gate to the temple. Jesus rode his donkey into this immediate place into the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went back out to Bethany with the 12. A peculiar story with a very normal verse at the end. Jesus went into the temple as the king. He looked around. He said, it's getting late. And he went back to his hotel in the suburbs. <laughs> Jesus almost always comes in a way that's unexpected. Almost always, Jesus, experienced Christians are surprised by Jesus all the time. You never get past the point. You don't, it's not like beginner, intermediate, advanced, and then suddenly you know everything that Jesus is going to do. Actually, beginner, intermediate, and advanced have the same thing that they do, right? We read this, we worship together, we study, we try to be obedient in the midst of that. And Jesus almost always comes in a way that's unexpected. One of my friends, a, a pastor, his name's Vance Ross. He's in the Atlanta area, and he has this way. He, he talks back to the preacher when they're preaching, okay? And he has this thing that he says when he's sort of surprised by something that the pastor says, and he has a deep kind of booming voice, uh, not like mine. Mine's more like a high-pitched um, Mickey Mouse um, southern accent voice. It's just some stuff I work through, but I have people I talk to. Um, so, uh, Vance, though, his voice is deep, resonant, and he'll say this in the middle of a sermon to the person preaching. He'll go, my Lord. And he says that when something happens in the scripture, and it's, he, and it's almost like, I knew Jesus did stuff like that, but I forgot. My Lord. Like, Jesus came riding in on a baby donkey. My Lord. And I think if you're paying attention, God will still do stuff in your life, like today. Surprising things that you didn't see coming. You might be like, my Lord. I never expected Someone to give me a Bible, <laughs> right? So what's God going to do that's not in the plan, and what does it mean? In this story, in all the stories, Jesus is involving us in his work. That's what he's trying to get the disciples to see, that Jesus will involve you in his announcement. He actually doesn't blow a megaphone and say, hey, come look at me as the king. He does all this stuff where we end up on the street saying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes like David, like the king. And as you've seen, it's fun and it's risky and it requires faith and it requires obedience. I know this has been sort of a hard series where we talked about being in the wilderness, how long you're in the wilderness, a long time, and there's suffering, and there's all these difficult things, but I don't want y'all to miss that it's fun sometimes. It's just fun sometimes to get caught up in what the Spirit is doing and where God is leading you. My wife, Rachel, and I were flying home from our vacation uh, last week, and we had a, a layover in Atlanta, connecting flight in Atlanta from Fort Lauderdale, so we had some time there. We're reading or something, and then we realized they've actually called for our flight called for our group. We missed it. But, you know, they're calling through the other groups. We're like, oh, no, we got to get up. We got to get going. We decided that we'd use the restroom before we got on the plane. But we're sort of like, you know, I was waiting for Rachel to get out. And it's like, this is time. They've already called our group. They're past our group. And I'm standing there thinking about this. And I see this lady coming down the hallway. And she is pushing. Uh, it's an older lady. And she's pushing her husband, uh, I presume, in a wheelchair. And I could tell by the expression on their face, it's like this strained expression. They were worried. They were lost. I don't know. They were late. You could just tell they were uh, um, 
exasperated, right? And I could see her coming down the hall. Her husband is holding out with his right hand his walker, like his rolling walker that I guess he uses, but he needs a wheelchair to get to their gate. And so he's holding the walker, and in the walker is their suitcase. And so she's pushing him. He's got his arm out. He's totally straining. These are like older. I know some of you are looking at me like, Jacob, I'm old. I'm like, they're older than you, okay? These like, they were like impressively old. Like, wow, you're out. That's, that's, this is, they were, so nobody, everybody feel young in this story. And so they're, and I was like, oh, and on the plane, the first plane, I'd been studying about the scripture that we would look at last week. Some of y'all remember it. The, the one who wants to be first has to be last and the servant of all. Jesus says, if you want to be first, be last, be the servant of all. It's like, that's a great verse that probably applies in most situations, but not when you're running late for your plane. Right? We've been gone a week. Our, our parents have been watching our, our kids. So it sounds like, you know, a good Christian would help them out. Well, our parents, if we missed that flight, would think we were bad Christians. You know, <laughs> if Rachel and I got another night in Atlanta, we would have been like, high five. But they wouldn't have. And so I'm kind of in the midst of that, and Rachel comes out, and the lady still hasn't passed me. She's so slow, right? It was like this total slow motion, and she sees them, and we're not even talking. We just see them, and they get next to us, and I just grab his walker, and I said, what, what's your gate? What gate are you going to? And they say, C21. We're at C8. And I was like, all right, let's go. And without me saying anything, to my surprise, Rachel just sort of booty bumps the old lady out of the way and takes the wheelchair, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, we have just stolen a, wheel, uh, a walker, somebody's suitcase, and an old man, right? And at this point, we're moving. We're moving as fast as we can. The lady was relieved. We're talking, but they're old. They can't hear very well, so we're talking like really loud. We're like, we were on a Christian cruise. We were at Cozumel. Cause, cause you mail. You were like trying to explain it. Like, our daughter lives in Texas. We're like, that's awesome. C21. We give them a hug. We run back. We're trying to catch our flight. We get there. Everybody's gone through the line. We're coming right up to it, except there's a police officer there. And I guess he's got like a prisoner. He's got a uh, wristband on. He's like scanning in. I say to Rachel, I'm like, we're flying on Con Air. And, so, and yeah. And I thought that was so funny. Uh, and, and the lady checking us out did not because we're in group one and we're barely making on the flight. And it was fun. It was just fun to get caught up. And I never would have touched that walker in a million years if it wasn't for Jesus. If I wasn't trying to serve him as my king. And you guys know, I'm not trying to make myself higher than anybody and tell you this story because you guys know that by the time I got to Nashville, I was acting like a jerk. So I'm not trying to be something. I'm just saying, I was like, if this scripture's real, I want to live it. If I'm going to wear these things out and hold them in front of you, then I should be ashamed if I wouldn't try something risky and whimsical and exciting for my king. And it's risky. You could miss your flight. You could lose some friends. You're guaranteed that people will say all kinds of cruddy things about you that aren't true. It's all part of it, the sacrifice. But we've kind of come to that place in this journey with the disciples. It's like, and I'm saying this to you and to me, it's like, all right, decide. Are you going to do, do it or not? Go untie a donkey. And at this point, the disciples, that's what's so cool about us following the story because we know how goofy they've been in the past. They're just like, boom, I'm going. I'm doing it. And it requires faith and it requires obedience Jesus is not a normal king. Would you say that with me? 
Jesus is not a normal king. Don't put him in the conception of kings that you've read about, studied about, or seen in the world. Jesus never builds buildings and puts his name on them. He never sits on a throne and has someone feed him grapes into his mouth. He never pushes out a people group so he can take their land. He never stores up gold in big safes. Jesus is not a normal king. And when we try to make him a normal king, he's going to do something extravagantly different to gain our attention. I'm riding into town on a baby donkey so that you'll get that the, my way of being king it begins with humility. Jesus begins there every time. And we have to get this, guys, because we're terrible at it. We, we, we argue with people on planes, and we act crazy in our cars, and it begins with humbling ourselves, and it's every day, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. Why? Because we're trying to walk in the way of our king. And we come to those, those places, right? We're like, I didn't expect him to look like this. I really thought he would be on a white horse, but Hosanna anyway. Save me now. That's what happened. They're like, I, that's what's remarkable about Palm Sunday is everybody just kind of let it go and said, I'm in, I'm in the boat of needing to be saved. Hosanna. I expected something different, but I want him. I want him as my king. So if he chooses baby donkeys, that's the one. I'm taking my coat off. I'm waving my palm branch. Why is Palm Sunday important? Why are people in Budapest and Jerusalem and Zimbabwe and Brazil, all over the world, in the streets waving palm branches, poor and rich? Why are they doing that? Because Palm Sunday is when we get keyed in that there's nothing that can hold Jesus back from his breakthrough. He's not saying, I'm a big conquering king and look at my army. He's saying, no, with nothing on a baby donkey, as humble as you could come into the city. Nobody will even notice. I'm just going to go up there, look around, and go back out. Nothing can hold me back from my breakthrough. And here's the thing, guys. With Jesus, there's nothing that can hold you back from your breakthrough. Whatever you've been praying about, whatever you've been hoping for, whatever you've been looking to, with Jesus, there's nothing that can hold you back. Without Jesus, there's a ton of stuff that can hold you back. But with him, you can take all the, you can pick up your mat, you can take it all with you, right? And go to the breakthrough. Jesus went into the city of Jerusalem through what is called the Golden Gate of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem for thousands of years has been surrounded by a large wall to keep people out. But there are gates, eight gates, eight ancient gates that surround the city of Jerusalem. And most of them have sort of utilitarian names. There's like the Damascus Gate. That's how you get to Damascus. The Jaffa Gate. That's how you get to Jaffa. There's one called the Dung Gate. And that's where they took their dung and their garbage out to the dump. So it's just really utilitarian. But the Golden Gate, the Golden Gate is the special gate. It's the one that goes directly into the temple. The Jews called it the mercy gate, and it's really theirs to name. It's been theirs a lot longer than everybody else. And you can read about in the Old Testament, this eastern gate to the sanctuary and the temple was a very holy place for them. They believed, hang with me, that the glory of God resided in the temple. They called it the Shekinah glory, and the glory would go out of that gate and back in the gate. So the, the glory of God is not held in the temple. It goes out to where the people are, and it comes back. The Jews also believed that the Messiah, listen, the Messiah would come in the eastern gate, the same gate that Jesus went in. Um, the Muslims call this the gate of eternal life. What I'm getting at is it's a very important gate. And in about uh, the ninth century, a king came into Jerusalem and closed up the gate. Why? Because all the religious people were saying, our king's gonna ride through that gate. He's like, okay, I'll close it up. The crusaders came a couple hundred years later. They opened it up because that's the gate Jesus came through. And then in 1187 AD, an Ottoman sultan, another king, came and said, we're shutting this thing up for good. The golden gate has been sealed for almost a 1,000 years. No one's walked through it. This is what it looks like. 
And so you can see, I mean, it looks like a gate. You can see where it was in the big, uh, in the big wall, but it's been sealed shut, concreted shut, blocked shut. One of the largest cemeteries in the world is just right on the outside of it because if the king's going to come back there one day, the Messiah's going to come back, that's where people think uh, they want to be. Rachel and I were in Jerusalem in November, and we stood up on the Mount of Olives, which looks on the east side. We actually walked down the road that Jesus rode his baby donkey on, and our guide, a son of a Jewish rabbi, a guy named Amittai, he asked me, he told me all this stuff about the Golden Gate. I'd never heard it before, and he asked me, he said, would you like to see the Golden Gate from the inside? I was like, yeah. He said, it's not easy. Your whole team's got to be on board. Because see, to get to the other side of the Golden Gate, it's where the Temple Mount is, and the Temple Mount is not a place for tourists. The Temple Mount's controlled by Palestinians. It's complicated over there, okay? Um, And so it's not a place where Christian groups uh, can go. You have to dress uh, like a Muslim to be able to to go up there, and a large group would never be able to make it. And I said, uh, we said, yeah, I want to see it. And so we went through, uh, we went back in, and there was a security line like at an airport. You know, we're waiting through the security line. We're waiting through it. It looked like we were going to get in. We didn't know if we were going to make it. And then our guide, he looks at me. I'm standing there. I'm holding this Bible, and he says, Jacob, you can't take a Bible up here. I've been carrying it around with me everywhere because in Jerusalem, it's like, oh, that happened right here, you know. My Bible. But this is like a once-in-a-lifetime thing, you know. And so um, I was just going to set it down, right. And Amittai, my guide, came. He said, give me your Bible. And he took off his leather jacket, and he stuffed it up in the sleeve of the jacket and laid it over his arm. And I was like, we're about to smuggle the Bible under the Temple Mount. <laughs> this is fun, right? This guy gets me excited. I was like, okay, brother, yeah. And if you get caught, I'm not with you, you know? Uh, and so Amatai's super smooth. This guy, I mean, he's wearing a leather jacket in Jerusalem, for crying out loud. And so he, he comes up, and he's, you know, talking to everybody, smiling at everybody. He walks through. This doesn't get picked up in a metal detector. We get up onto the Temple Mount. He sort of winks at me, and he says, do you want to go see the Golden Gate? I'm like, yeah. The gate that my Savior rode through? The Temple Mount's different than the city of Jerusalem a hustling, bustling market town with pilgrims from all over the world up on the Temple Mount. There's military guards. It's very quiet. There's a really sad kind of feeling to it because it's the holiest of holy place for the Jews, and they're right outside on the western wall placing their prayers and paper with tears into it because they can't get to that place. Amittai walked me over to the gate, and it's, there's a barricade. There were guys with assault rifles. They're guarding the gate. And I stood there, and y'all get this, y'all hear me, like, I'm a Methodist preacher, I went to like three years of school, I'm not an archaeologist, I'm not a great theologian, but I stood there in front of that sealed gate just on the other side, and I thought, there is no way it's going to hold my Jesus back. (laughs) All right, I'm going to get really weird. In Ezekiel, so like way back, thousand years back, Ezekiel, who's a prophet, he said this, Uh, about the vision that God gave him of what the temple would look like. He said, then the man, he talks about this man in the vision, the man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary. This is the temple. The one facing east, the gate facing east, and it was shut. The Lord said to me, the gate is to remain shut. It must not be opened. No one may enter through it. It's to remain shut. Are you getting the point? Because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. You see, guys, the things in our man-made and woman-made ways that we think that we're going to do, we're actually just living into what God has already set into motion through the king who rode on a baby donkey. The gate's not shut because some king wants it shut. It's because the only one who can go through it is the Messiah. 
What in the world does that have to do with your life? Here's what it has to do with your life. Everything right now is not right. You know it, right? You feel it. You carried something in your heart this morning that's not right in your life. The suffering of your child, the sickness of your parent, the loved one who's lost, the stuff in the world you can't make sense of. I get it. But we follow this Savior and we believe that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so every Hosanna that we lift up today, the ones that are going on in Jerusalem right now, all over the world, and in this beautiful sanctuary in Mount Juliet, is not just a Hosanna here. It's what, the, it's what they said on the streets that day. It's a Hosanna in the highest. I know this is weird, but we are joining in uh, a, uh, a heavenly cry today because all is not right and it won't be right until Jesus comes and makes it right again. And so your Hosanna today is heard by God. Your Hosanna is really important. I don't care if it saved me now. I believe you can save or you're in a place where saying, I think Jesus is in the room right now. Whatever it is, your Hosanna is your way of saying, all is not yet right. I can't make it right. I tried. I've tried a thousand times, but you can, God. I'm the one of those who believes in the king who rode on the donkey, not the king like all the other kings, but the real one, he's mine. And so I say, Hosanna. I shout it out. It's crazy. I'll, I'll grab a branch. I'll wave it around. That's what I believe. Here's what happens when you walk out of the, the temple. When you walk out of the temple like we did that day, my head's kind of spinning. We get out on the street. Amitai pulls my Bible out, that Bible, and we high five. We're like, we're smugglers. It was so fun. And we start walking, and I sense that we're like walking uphill, and I've studied this book my whole life. And I asked Amitai, I said, are we walking uphill? And he said, yeah. And I realized the road that we were on. It's the one, you see, Jesus came back to the temple. He turned all the tables over because guys like me who ran the church didn't understand how to get it right. And Jesus walked through Jerusalem that week and he did all kinds of things. But eventually he was handed over and mocked and spit upon and beaten and they put him on that road with a cross on his back, the road I was walking on. It's called the Way of Sorrows, the Via Della Rosa. And I remembered, it's something I've wanted to share with you since November. I remembered, you don't get to your breakthrough until you walk to the cross. You can't skip it. You can't skip it. Jesus didn't skip it for us. He gave everything, guys. And that's what he's asking of you. Everything. That you'd be willing to lose everything for him. And he made a way, and he, he made a way for our breakthrough through the cross. And so I want to say something to you. Um, some of you will know what to say back. There's some ancient words, and the rest of you, you'll, you'll kind of follow along. But, but this is where I want to end. I want to end by saying this. The Lord be with you. Let's say it again. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. This is what the church has been saying for centuries and centuries and centuries to get ready for Jesus, okay? And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Let's say together, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. You may need that tomorrow or you may need it like 20 years from now, so just say it with me again, okay? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen.